Welcome to episode five of the Stories and Wisdom podcast. How's it going, guys? Hope everybody is doing well. Today, we are going to be diving in to our fairy tale analysis, and we're going to be starting with the Brothers Grimm classic, Little Snow White. Obviously popularized by Disney in 1937 with the film, we're going to be looking at the text as uh, written by the Brothers Grimm, which was in 1812. There are some nuances between the two. We're going to read from the original fairy tale, and we're going to discuss these nuances as the story goes. Yeah, so the whole plan here is to read from the text, and what we are going to do is kind of chunk it. So we'll probably read paragraph by paragraph, and then kind of stop at critical points to analyze, talk about characters, archetypes, setting, plot, etc., and kind of just go through the story in chronological order and uh, have a little commentary over it. Okay, so diving right in. Little Snow White. Once upon a time in the middle of winter, when the flakes of snow were falling like feathers from the sky, a queen sat at a window sewing, and the frame of the window was made of black ebony. And while she was sewing and looking out of the window at the snow, she pricked her finger with the needle, and three drops of blood fell upon the snow. And the red looked pretty upon the white snow, and she thought to herself, If only I had a child as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as the wood of a window frame. Soon after that, she had a little daughter, who was as white as snow, and as red as blood, and her hair was as black as ebony, and she was therefore called Little Snow White. And when the child was born, the queen died. So right off the bat, we have quite a bit happening. We see the queen kind of praying or wishing for a child, and she wants that child specifically to be living, as kind of we see by the idea of the blood, and also white as snow. So she wants the child to be pure or have that aspect of purity within her. So soon after, her wish is fulfilled, but at a high cost, she essentially sacrifices herself for this child to come into the world. Okay, back to the text. After a year passed, the king took another wife. She was a beautiful woman, but proud and haughty, and she could not bear that anyone else should surpass her in beauty. She had a wonderful looking glass, and when she stood in front of it and looked at herself in it and said, Looking glass, looking glass on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of all? The looking glass answered, You, O queen, are the fairest of all. Then she was satisfied for she knew that the looking glass spoke the truth. So right off the bat, we have a few attributes to describe this new queen, the stepmother of Snow White. And we know she's proud and haughty right to begin with. We just don't know to what extent just yet. Another key component of the story is this mirror of truth, which can't lie so she can trust its word. Yeah, so we see that aspect of pride. We also see that aspect of vanity as she's looking into the mirror and she doesn't want anyone to surpass her in beauty. So we see vanity as the pride for material beauty here. Back to the text. But Snow White was growing up and grew more and more beautiful. And when she was seven years old, she was as beautiful as the day and more beautiful than the queen herself. And once when the queen asked her looking glass, looking glass, looking glass on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of all? It answered, you are fairer than all who are here, lady queen, but more beautiful still is Snow White as I ween. Then the queen was shocked and turned yellow and green with envy. From that time, whenever she looked at Snow White, her heart heaved in her breast. She hated the girl so much. And envy and pride grew higher and higher in her heart like a weed. 
so that she had no peace day or night. She called a hunter and said, Take the child away into the forest. I will no longer have her in my sight. Kill her and bring me back her heart as a token. So we have this seed of vanity growing and growing in the queen. And it's, it's taking the highest place in her values hierarchy. It's essentially her god at this point because it leads her to want to commit to murder of her stepdaughter. This is cold, calculated murder, and there is no moral reality here in the queen's world. And I just want to clarify what I mean about her values hierarchy. Essentially, what we think about the most takes the seat of, of our God. It's, it's essentially what we worship. And this is true psychologically, and this is what's going on in the queen. She's having that vanity as the top value. So without this evil value that this queen possesses at the top of her values hierarchy, there wouldn't be an antagonist to the story. There wouldn't be this sin that spirals into conflict. So back to the story. The hunter obeyed and took her away. But when he had drawn his knife and was about to pierce Snow White's innocent heart, she began to weep and said, Ah, dear hunter, spare me my life. I will run away into the wild forest and never come home again. And as she was so beautiful, the hunter had pity on her and said, Run away then, you poor child. The wild beast will soon devour you, thought he. And yet it seemed as if a stone had been rolled from his heart, since he no longer needed to kill her. And as a young boar just then came running by, he stabbed it and cut out its heart and took it to the queen as proof that the child was dead. The cook had to salt this and the wicked queen ate it and thought she had eaten the heart of Snow White. So we see here that the hunter had a serious heart change and it was brought on by Snow White's innocence and Snow White's genuine request for his mercy. As the paragraph goes on, we see that it seemed as if a stone had been rolled away from the hunter's heart. And this is a reference to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. So Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Even the idea that the stone is being rolled away from the huntsman's heart kind of echoes that idea in Christianity of the resurrection when the stone rolls away from Jesus' tomb and he rises. And through that resurrection, the heart is renewed. So there's some obvious religious overtones here. Germany in 1812 being a Christian nation, as well as the Brothers Grimm themselves being Christian. So we see the massive influence that the religious culture at the time has in the formulation of these stories. And essentially, they are shadows of a lot of the belief systems from Christianity. And I just wanted to comment also on the sheer evil of the queen. She wanted to eat Snow White's heart, the heart of purity, the heart of innocence, and she wanted to devour her beauty. That's just the extent of her jealousy. It's like the very extreme on the spectrum. Dialing back in. But now the poor child was all alone in the great forest and so terrified that she looked at every leaf of every tree and did not know what to do. Then she began to run and ran over sharp stones and through thorns and the wild beasts ran past her, but did her no harm. She ran as far as her feet would go until it was almost evening. Then she saw a little cottage and went into it to rest. Everything in the cottage was small, but neater and cleaner than you can imagine. 
There was a table on which was a white cover and seven little plates and on each plate a little spoon. Moreover, there were seven little knives and forks and seven little mugs. Against the wall stood seven little beds side by side and covered with Snow White bedspreads. So right here in the story, Snow White gets plunged into this domain of chaos. This is the archetype of the enchanted forest that we talked about in the previous episode. There's a complete lack of order and psychologically Snow White is a mess because she basically just lost everything that she knew and everything that made her feel at home and secure. And now she's, you know, going through the crevices of this forest and trying to find the light that maybe will seep through the trees. And Snow White has no choice but to adapt to this chaotic environment or she risks completely falling apart. So in the midst of her searching for something to cling on to, she finds this potential safe haven in this tiny little house in the middle of this enchanted forest. But she still has to assess it to see if she can rely on it. And so she finds it to be this homey environment, something that she could potentially get comfortable with. She sees all these items in groups of seven, and seven is littered across the Bible as a number that's identified as being finished or complete. It's a, it's a number associated with perfection. Snow White herself is seven years old at this time, so you see this number being repeated in the text. It supports that she might have found uh, something to cling on to here in the midst of chaos. All right, so back to the text here. Little Snow White was so hungry and thirsty that she ate some vegetables and bread from each plate and drank a drop of wine out of each mug, for she did not wish to take all from only one. Then, as she was so tired, she laid herself down on each of the little beds, but none of them suited her. One was too long, another too short. But at last she found the seventh one was right, and so she remained in it, said a prayer, and went to sleep. When it was quite dark, the owners of the cottage came back. They were seven dwarves who dug and delved in the mountains for ore. They lit their seven candles, and now that the cottage was lit, they saw that someone had been there, for everything was not in the same order in which they had left it. The first said, Who's been sitting on my chair? The second, Who's been eating off my plate? The third, Who's been taking some of my bread? The fourth, Who's been eating my vegetables? The fifth, Who's been using my fork? The sixth, Who's been cutting my knife? The seventh, Who's been drinking out of my mug? So just a quick note here, we see that Snow White still has faith, even though she's in the midst of this chaos. She thinks she might have found a humble abode to kind of reside in for a bit, but she still says a prayer in order that, you know, God will protect her in this chaotic forest and new environment that she found herself in. So then the first dwarf looked round and saw that there was a little hole on his bed, and he said, who had been getting into my bed? The others came up and each called out, Somebody has been lying in my bed too. But the seventh, when he looked at his bed, saw a little Snow White who was lying asleep in it. And he called the others who came running up and they cried out with astonishment and brought their seven little candles and let the light fall on little Snow White. Oh heavens, oh heavens, cried they. What a lovely child. And they were so glad that they did not wake her up but let her sleep in the bed. And the seventh dwarf slept with his companions one hour with each, and so got through the night. When it was morning, little Snow White awoke and was frightened when she saw the seven dwarfs. But they were friendly and asked her what her name was. 
My name is Snow White, she answered. How have you come to our house, said the dwarves. Then she told them that her stepmother had wished to have her killed, but that the hunter had spared her life, and that she had run for the whole day. At last she had found their dwelling. The dwarf said, If you will take care of her house, cook, make the beds, wash, sew, and knit, and if you will keep everything neat and clean, you can stay with us, and you shall want for nothing. So this chaotic situation was essentially handled well. Snow White made a bargain with these seven dwarves, to um, facilitate her stay and accommodation with them. It's the potential beginnings of a friendship here between her and the dwarves. This provides her some stability in her time of weakness. Back to the text. Yes, said Snow White, with all my heart, and she stayed with them. She kept the house in order for them. In the mornings they went to the mountains and looked for copper and gold, and in the evenings they came back, and then their supper had to be ready. The girl was alone the whole day, so the good dwarves warned her and said, Beware of your stepmother. She will soon know that you are here. Be sure to let no one come in. But the queen, believing that she had eaten Snow White's heart, was certain that she was again the first and most beautiful of all. And she went to her looking glass and said, Looking glass, looking glass, on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of all? And the glass answered, O queen, you are the fairest of all I see. But over the hills where the seven dwarves dwell, Snow White is still alive and well, and none is so fair as she. Then she was astounded, for she knew that the looking glass never spoke falsely, and she knew that the hunter had betrayed her, and that little Snow White was still alive. And so she thought and thought again how she might kill her, for so long as she was not the fairest in the whole land, envy let her have no rest. And when she had at last thought of something to do, she painted her face and dressed herself like an old peddler, and no one could have known her. In this disguise, she went over the seven mountains to the seven dwarves and knocked at the door and cried, Pretty things to sell, very cheap, very cheap. Little Snow White looked out the window and called out, Good day, my good woman. What have you to sell? So this just emphasizes the ruthlessness of the queen. She just gets back on her scheming right as soon as she finds out that Snow White's still alive. It even says that envy let her have no rest. So at this point, envy has actually taken over her being. So there's not even a sliver of remorse in the queen from the time she first decided to assassinate Snow White. So this just leads to another series of sins that she's ready to mount in order to, at any cost, kill Snow White. Okay, guys, so that's where we're going to end this episode. This is going to be part one of our analysis of Little Snow White. Next episode will be part two, where we go into the rest of the story and uh, some more in-depth analysis on that. And we will eventually talk about the differences between the Disney version as well as this original. So we just want to leave you guys pondering and thinking about these kind of ideas that we've brought up and that eternal battle between good and evil.